In our series together, we're doing uh, called Reboot. And uh, the context of Reboot is for us as a church collectively and for us individually, I need to reboot and, and just start over. Like I rethink, I mean, we, we need to become a thinking, living, biblical society that lives in the culture. We are not going to isolate ourselves from the culture. We're not gonna imitate the culture. We will infiltrate that culture and we'll do that courageously. That's what it means to reboot. And we've been looking at two verses that we've been mining for gold because of the depth in all that they have. They summarize both the doctrine that precedes them and they invite us into the application that we'll be looking at today. Romans chapters 12, verses one and two. It says this, therefore I urge you my brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, you gotta behave right, present your bodies as a holy and living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual logical service of worship. We should think right too. Do not be conformed by this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Two simple sentences, oh. Uh, Pastor Martin Lord Jones uh, preached 10 sermons on just these two sentences and said, could have done another 10. Absolutely. Let me just review rather quickly where we've been. This is kind of, we're finishing up and letting Rebecca McLaughlin bat clean up. She'll do a great job next week. Can't wait. But the problem of Christianity is how we started. The problem of Christianity now and has always been that we somehow find ourselves being disciples of the media. Uh, or the culture, and we are, con- we are conformed, our, we've conformed to this world is what happens. And so we need to acknowledge that and repent of that so we can move on to the next part. And that was, if you remember, it was to give our, our lives as a living sacrifice. And living sacrifice means that we, we understand and grasp that God is infinitely wise and infinitely loving towards us. So wouldn't it be the logical thing to turn our entire lives over to him and let God himself, the Bible, be the source of what we believe and what we do. Everything the Bible says, like it or not, we're gonna gonna try to understand that and obey that. That the Bible has an authority up here over us, not the other way around. It has authority over our passions, our beliefs, and our values. Then we looked at, well, transform our minds. To what? Well, to the core creeds of what it means to have a biblical faith. We looked at that. And then we looked at like how to change our lives. It says be transformed. That word in Greek is metamorphosis. That means be changed from the inside out. And if you remember, the graphic looked like this. We spent two weeks on this. Looks a little complicated, but it's honestly, it's rather simple in some respects. It starts with the understanding that we have an identity with Christ And now our whole lives are lived around that identity. So what we think is supposed to be supporting that, what we, how we behave and what we do, it's it's gonna be energized by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then by purposeful friends that have influence on our lives to pick us up and to encourage us in that new identity. That's what we've talked about so far. And now we're gonna look at the last part of chapter 12, verse two, when it tells us how we should then live. Chapter 12, verse two says this at the end. So that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we live the rest of our lives? Good and acceptable, perfect will of God. 
There's a general will of God for all Christians at all times. And there's a specific will of God for you, for me individually. Don't have time to, you know, kind of teach on the specific will of God sometime soon. But in the general will of God, chapters 12 through 15, like following, starting in verse three, is talking about how we should live, all live in all circumstances at all times. This is the will of God. It's good, acceptable, and perfect will. Major, I broke it up in, in four parts. There's a lot I'm not going to say because we're just going to survey those four principles of living in the will of God. The first one is this, serve the church for God's sake. Serve the church for God's sake. He's out of the blocks with this comment. For the, for, <clears throat> excuse me, for, the, for the grace given, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not seek himself, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. Sober judgment, that means accurately evaluating yourselves. And the Christian doctrine teaches us in a way that gives us the fullness of what that accuracy looks like. Can't get too highly of yourselves. The Christian faith dogmatically declares that we're totally depraved. I mean, the only thing we bring to the altar of God is our sin, our wretchedness, like, I don't know, nasty old rags. So it's pretty hard to get haughty. But on the other hand, the other part of the gospel is we've inherited, we are co-heirs with the, with like the identity of Jesus Christ. We're prince and princesses, but we've gone from rags to riches as a gift from God. And so, you know, what are we supposed to do with this sober, reasonable, accurate thoughts of ourselves? Here's what it says. For as, uh, for as in one body, there are many members and the members do not all have the same function, right? Yeah, so we in this body, though many are one body in Christ, and individually one to another, members one to another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. Let us use those gifts that the Spirit gave us. Here's some examples. For prophecy, in proportion to the faith. In service, in our serving. For those who teach, in his teaching. And those who exhort, in his exhortation. The one who, is, uh, the one who, who contributes in their generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy cheerfully. We're like what it's saying here is every single believer in Christ is given as a gift by the spirit, a gift, a spiritual gift. The ability to do something, sometimes rather simple, but it has supernatural consequences. And, and we're given that gift to serve the body of Christ. And we're supposed to use that gift with, like, with zeal, with excitement, with, cheerful, with cheerfulness. Let, it says, let us use them. There's, there's no unemployed Christians. There's no one like, that has a gift from the spirit that's looking for a job. It's, it's, there's no passive members in a church. People, you're not supposed to go to a church and say, so what are you going to do for me? How are you going to serve me? That's not in the Bible. Uh, the, the application is you go to the church and say, how can I use the spirit gift in me to serve this body? I hear people say, I'm not growing in this church. Have you, tell me where you're serving. I'm not serving. Well, maybe those two are connected. 
Not serving, not growing. Sure, yeah, happens all the time. It, look, look at it this way. You are the answer to someone else's prayers. You are the answer to someone else's prayers because God has saved you and then the spirit gave you a gift and then you have this, like we are each of us is a fingerprint or a snowflake. You have like experiences and attributes and, and failures and loss that make you particularly important to the body of Christ. And people pray, like you probably do this, you pray for your mother or father or sister or brother or somebody that you love and, and they're living in another town and they're saying, dear God, if we could like bring them to a church, get them into a friendship, have someone greet them, right? Maybe have someone care for their child that could like care for them in a way that they just like go to lunch and, and talk about Christ. You're the answer to those prayers. Let us use them. Let us use them. If you come to church just to get, you're resisting the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has given you a gift and it says right here, let us use that gift. That's the first one. The second will of God that's good, acceptable and perfect that we can know is like, let your love be true. Let your love be true. The Moses whole section here from 12 to 15 is in the context of a family relationship. And you keep that in mind. This is like how families get along. And here's how it works in the context of true love. He says, let your love be genuine. Other translations, sincere. Let your love be without hypocrisy is what he means. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. There it is. Brotherly affection, brotherly love. In C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Four Loves, he looks at four Greek words for love and kind of compares and contrasts those. And, and this particular chapter on love, uh, it, it, brotherly love is called storge. And storge is family love that is, it's not like the other loves. It's like a, the love between a, fa, a, a mother and her child, right? It's, it's, it's automatic, it's natural, it's a, it's a deep and abiding love, right? Can't explain it. Now, what Lewis says is he says, okay, let's understand that definition, storge, and project it. This is the glory of the church of Jesus Christ. Because, because storge love, in contrast to uh, uh, friendship love, phileo, or, 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 or lovers type, that type of love, those loves, they choose. You choose your friends, you choose who your husband or wife might be, and you'll say, we were made for each other. Storge love is family love. You don't choose. A story of love is inflicted on you by circumstances. And you just, like, you have a bond that's like opposite of the choice of love. It just happens. <laughs> like, look at it this way. Think of your brothers and sisters. Okay, if they weren't your brothers or sisters, would you even like them? Would they even be friends? No, sometimes, yes. Uh, but a lot of times, no, but there's a bond and blood is thicker than water and you, you, you'll lend them money or you'll give a kidney to them because we're family, the bond. Storge is circumstantial by the sovereignty of God, love that you, that's inflicted upon you without your choice. It, you just do it. Here's a long quote from Lewis explaining how this works. 
He says, uh, growing fond of old so-and-so simply because he or she happened to be there because you're thrown together in the same family or in the same platoon or the same ship. And there's a wonder about that. For when, when, you're, when you're going along your way and then you begin to say, you know, though she is not the sort of person, of my sort of person, she really is very good in her own way. At that point, you've crossed the frontier. It means you're getting beyond your own idiosyncrasies and loving someone completely different from you that you didn't choose to like or love. I love how he ends it here. He goes, he says, you're continuing to learn to appreciate goodness and intelligence in themselves, not merely goodness and intelligence that are flavored and serve to suit your tastes, your views, your palate. And then he concludes, dogs and cats should always be brought up together because it broadens their minds so. Dogs and cats should be brought up together because it broadens their minds so. Brotherly love. You couldn't choose it. It's the sovereign will of God that puts us in this auditorium together and we have nothing in common. We have Christ in common. The family of God, the gospel connects us and that's more than enough. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a pastor I mentioned him before when he was uh, preaching on this section, he said, you know, when I entered the Christian family, I, I, he said, I found myself in a, in, a, in a group of people that were in a different class, a different race, a different temperament, people that I would never have liked. And now I'm, I find a bond to them. I find I'm connected to them because we're all related to God in this one way. And that one way is all that matters. Brotherly love, family love, there's no auditioning. There's no selecting in or out. There's this, you two are, you guys have nothing alike. I know, and I love him. He's my brother. That's what it looks like. And how do you show this genuine, authentic, non-hypocritical love? You just keep reading. Verses 10 through 13 says this. Like just outdo one another. Just try to outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in your zeal. Be fervent in your spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in your prayer for one another, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You're almost in a competitive, in a competition with your other brothers and sisters on how to share love for one another. That's what it looks like. That's what the good, acceptable and perfect will of God is with our brothers and sisters. That's two. Here's the third way to practice the will of God. It says, obey your government, obey the government. You're going to love this. I'll keep it short. <clears throat> 13, one and two says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. You don't like what the government's doing? Too bad. <laughs> it's just like you do it anyway. This command to obey the government, it is given to us by God through the pen of Paul, who's writing it in prison because he's practicing his faith. He's, he's going to die because 
He's practicing his faith. Obey the government up until the point where they tell you to sin. This government that he's talking about, that we're supposed to, that he's supposed to submit to, that we're supposed to submit to, it's the same government that had John the Baptist beheaded, same government that had Jesus Christ crucified. And God says, it was all part of a sovereign plan, just obey the government up until the point of sin. Heard enough already? Let's go on to the next point, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, four is stop judging each other and serve each other instead. Stop judging each other, serve each other instead. To be clear, before we even start, these are not moral issues. This is like the gray in between black and white. These are not hard convictions. As a matter of fact, Paul's going to like list the do's and don'ts. He's going to list some from the Old Testament. I shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. And then he's going to go on and say, these are some other stuff. No illicit sex, no drunkenness, uh, no sensuality, no quarreling, no jealousy. Okay. So it's not, these are not morally evil things. He's talking about the gray in between that families get into squabbles about. This is what you're supposed to do in a family with your beliefs and your opinions. That's what he's talking about. Look what he says in 14.1. As for, those, for the one that's weak in faith, welcome him, but not quarrel, do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything while a weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats not to, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God welcomes them both. Quit judging, you know, quit criticizing each other. God's like, he's, God's big enough to accept both of these. What's he talking about? Is he saying like vegetarians have terrible theology? He's not saying that. I'm saying that. No, no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, it's what's happening here is in the Older Testament, there's a whole section of commandments that have to do like that, that, that are like ceremonial law has about various expressions of cleanliness. And some of those have to do with clean and unclean animals. And there's also part of the ceremonial laws is uh, annual events that that are uh, prophesying towards Jesus Christ. And Jesus fulfills the ceremonial laws the days and, and some of these, the, the animals, the clean and, and unclean animals. And so a person that has a, a kind of a deep grasp of the freedom that we have in Christ because he's fulfilled those, they, they are able to express that in eating whatever they want and celebrating or not celebrating various holidays. And so, but some are not yet there. Grew up their entire lives as Jewish and it's difficult for them to live with this transition. And so the people that are stronger, they're kind of being inhibited. And there's, so there's, there's, here's one way to respond to that. It's like, you know what? I'm just going to flaunt my freedom in front of them. Watch this. Bacon wrapped around, uh, you know, I don't know, shrimp. Let's go. Or another one is like, here's pretty common too. It's like, I'm just going to leave. Those, those people, like, I, you know, their beliefs and their opinions I'm going to go find a tribe of only strong believers so I can eat and do whatever I choose. And you could do that, except you wouldn't be a living sacrifice, would you? No, you wouldn't. Look what the next verse says. 
For the one who lives for himself, for, for, no, for none of us lives for himself and none of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. That's a living sacrifice. We don't get to choose. God chooses for us in his infinite wisdom, in his infinite love. We keep reading. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. How about you delegate all that judging to the Lord Jesus Christ? And why don't, why don't we love? Why don't we love? Look what he says. Instead, we, we ought to be doing this, verse 19 and 20. So <laughs> let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not sake, do not for the sake of food, and you can insert any petty opinions or beliefs here, all right? Do not, do not for the sake of whatever, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble in what he eats. Can you imagine Paul writing the American church, watching over the last two years, what we've chosen to squabble over? judging and contend and condemning and arguing and dividing. I'm telling you that parchment, the ink would be wet with tears. Really? You're going to do this, that, or the other? Don't, isn't Christ enough that you have in common that you wouldn't just like look at these other things as insulary? Wow. So how are we supposed to serve one another? How do we live in the context of different beliefs and opinions about things that aren't the gospel? He says it in 15, one and two. For you who are strong, you have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourselves. Let us let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. It's not about me and my rights and my freedoms and my definition of how things ought to be run. We're constantly looking, especially the strong, looking to how to serve those not as strong as us. There's a book that we read as an elder board and as pastors and a lot of the leaders, we read it regularly. It's called While Shepherds Watch Their Flock. Now it's a book for city slickers like all of us. And it's like, how to make sense out of all the, out of the illustrations and applications of what it means to be a shepherd and sometimes a sheep, because what do we know? And so there's this one section that we go to regularly to when we make decisions around here for the whole flock. And it's this section about how to care for the different types of sheep in, you know, in our care. And when, when, a, when a shepherd comes upon a new field to graze upon, what they'll do is they will hold back the strong and the fast so that the weak and the slow get a head start. Because if the shepherd does, if they don't give the weak and the slow the head start, the weak and the slow starve. They die. And for the sake of the weak and the slow, they hold the others back and say, you get first shot because you got to live. <laughs> I mean, uh, you probably did this as a parent. We did. Like you can't, like on Easter, 
like Easter egg hunts, if you do that, you can't just release everybody at once. The 11-year-old will destroy the five and the four-year-old based on a true story, and those other ones don't get any Easter eggs. So we kind of know this, right? So, but there's two types of, of fast and strong sheep, right? There's the fast and strong sheep that like they get it and they're caring and they go, look, I, I've been weak and slow and I'm gonna be weak and slow later. And I understand this is best for them. So yeah, I'll, I'll stay back and go ahead and let them graze. They'll be enough for me later. And then there's another type of strong and fast. And that is, why are you doing this? I have a right to be out there. I mean, like, I don't want to serve the weak. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to run the church around where I am in life. And I'm going to get there first and I'm going to get all I can. Which sheep are you? How do you respond to not getting what you want and how it applies? It's interesting that Paul teaches kind of on this subject of this gray area and what to, how to apply very biblical, various biblical truths. Here in Romans and again in 1 Corinthians, similar story but for different reasons. But it's interesting that in both cases, who he talks about and delivers his exhortations and criticisms and says, you've got to get this right. You know who he's talking to? The strong. In each case, he's saying, you guys that are, can afford this, you need to like serve those others. Look what he says in 14.1 and 15.1, and it's going to show up again in 15.7. I'll show you that in a minute, but look at the key words here. 14.1, accept him whose faith is weak. 15.1, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Accept, key word. Here's, here's various commentaries, how they describe this word. Open up your circle. Open up your arms to welcome someone in. Adjust your life to make changes in order to have relationships with someone who is culturally, politically, and, or maybe has a different set of beliefs or opinions and completely different than you. It's, he's saying, look, hey, strong ones, you adjust your life for the people that are like barely getting in the door of a church. You make it easy for them to come because relationships are way more important than your preferences. You're like, your family, your family has way more value than these non-essential convictions. So you say you're strong, so use that strength for a purpose. Get out of the echo chamber you live in where everyone is there with similar beliefs and how to apply them, similar opinions. And could you just show a little grace for your younger sister? Could you be patient for your kid brother? He'll grow up soon enough, but goodness, you're the strong one. Live with forgiveness. Give it away like, like, it's, like you get points for it. I think you do. So when Doug Moo, uh, Douglas Moo is a scholar, New Testament scholar, but kind of specializes in the book of Romans, he doesn't just say, like, give it to them, the, young, the, the weaker. He just says, no, no, no. He, he says, 
sympathetically enter deeply into the lives of the weak, not criticizing or judging them. So like do what love requires. Like in other words, get into their souls, into their stories. Why is it that you, you have these values, these beliefs? Oh no, wow. You hear the whole story, you might pump your brakes a little bit and do less judging and more loving. He's saying this, like know them, enjoy them, like open up your circle, expand your mind. Dogs and cats ought to be raised together. It will open their minds, right? Broaden their minds together. Not just like, don't just associate with people of your same race or education or income or whatever you call it, your newsfeed looping. Broaden your mind, serving, loving those people that are not like you. I mean, I think it's funny that like, if you look at Jesus in his selection of the disciples, I don't think any two are alike. If you look at the selection of the disciples, like as an NFL draft, you'd be absolutely startled. Okay, he spends all night praying to the Father that the Spirit would give him insight so that he could pick all the right players. First out, I'm gonna do Simon the Zealot. Yeah, great pick, way to go, Jesus. This guy, like he's a nationalist, he's part of the militia. He wants to violently take over Rome, you know, good for you. Second pick. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, do what? Wait a minute. This guy's Jewish and he's serving as the boot on the throat of his fellow Jews to collect tax for the enemy, Rome. Jesus goes, yep. And I'm going to put them in a tent together and we're going to go camping for three years. (laughs) Because they need to, like cats and dogs need to be raised together so they can broaden their mind. And look, I want you to understand that Matthew and, and Simon, they both thought they were absolutely correct in all of their beliefs and all of their opinions. You can ask any of their faction friends. They would support those views. And then they spend time with Jesus and Jesus is more important than their zealous or their money. And guess, I'll, I'll bet money that Simon lost a lot of his faction friends and Matthew lost a lot of his tax gathering friends because they felt that Jesus was more important than anything else in their lives. They had nothing in common. They had one thing in common and that was enough to wipe everything else away. And they became brothers, brothers, not the ones they picked, the ones that were inflicted upon them literally. So in conclusion, here's what Jesus is saying. Here's what, how to live. Look what it says in 15, five through seven. We're going to look for that accept word again. Okay. Welcome word again in verse seven. May the God of endurance and encouragement, having trouble with brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe you should call upon the God of endurance and encouragement. I love that. It's like a acceptance of how hard this can be sometimes. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, according with Christ Jesus, that, that, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome, accept, open your mind, okay? Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. How did Christ welcome me? How did he welcome you? Yeah. 
while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies. So we could do something a little bit like that. This is the will of God, the perfect, acceptable, pleasing will of God. Therefore, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, okay, do not, to, to rather to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing. It's the rational, I mean, it's the spiritual thing to do. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not just sit passively and let it destroy the way you think and feel. Do not be conformed to this world. Rather, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, the will that is good and acceptable and perfect. This whole section of scripture, 12 through 15, can be encased in a single phrase or so that Jesus said. He said, the world is gonna know you are my followers by your love for one another. That brotherly love, that storge that doesn't make sense, you have nothing in common but this one thing in common. When you guys love each other this way, they're gonna wanna know what's going on. That's what's gonna cause people to wanna come to Christ. And, and in the history of the church, like from its very beginning, when you saw a church united and they enjoyed the differences, the differences in culture, uh, the mild beliefs, the opinions, the food, right? When they just like hung to the creeds of what the gospel was, when that church was using their gifts to serve one another, use those spiritual gifts, when they were doing that in a robust way, caring for one another, giving to one another, and it didn't matter the government, let me just say it a better way, in spite of the government, Need an example? Like the, Chinese, the, China, the, the gospel in China right now, in spite of the government, they are like they had this one thing, their brothers and sisters in Christ. When that happened, in all of history, the church thrived. And in the thriving of that church, it gives glory to the Father of Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time, whenever the church was independent, they just want to live for themselves when they wanted to do whatever is particular to them, the spirit left that church and took his power with him. And then it just became a country club. Shame. Today, we're asking for this. Let's be the church we were meant to be. Let's reboot here and here. Let's love one another in this brotherly love that transcends understanding. Let's use the power of the Spirit to serve and care and give inside and outside the church. Let's glorify God by singing together and in this chorus of different types of voices, we give glory to the Father of the Son by the power of the Spirit.